Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Yesner. And I'm KW Taylor. Today we are discussing a hodgepodge of things, <laughs> including the comedy series Dairy Girls, the new Netflix season of The Mole, and the horror movie The Witch. Yes. We're going from like light to dark, so if you want to stay in a good mood, maybe pause this in the middle. <laughs> so I don't know that much about Dairy Girls. I've had it recommended to me tons of times, and I just haven't gotten around to it. So tell me why I should start this show. Yeah, this is a half-hour show. There are three seasons of six episodes. I think the last season has seven episodes. Mm-hmm. And it's an Irish-British show. So it's set in Derry, Ireland. But it is centered around these five teens. So the teens are Erin, played by Saoirse Monica Jackson. And she's like a little bit like the leader. Mm-hmm. And then her cousin Orla is played by Louisa Harlan. Orla is one of my favorites. And <laughs> she's just really spacey and weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I like it. And then Claire, played by Nicola Coughlin, who we know from Bridgerton. Yes. Michelle is played by Jamie Lee O'Donnell, and she's a lot of fun. <laughs> she's very foul mouthed and like high energy. Claire is high energy too, but she is like high anxious energy. Oh. <laughs> so she's always worried about school and and all these things and getting in trouble and stuff and then oh. michelle's english cousin james is counted as a dairy girl <laughs> okay <laughs> um he comes over his mom sends him over to live with michelle and her family mm-hmm. and he ends up going to their school their catholic school it's been a while since i watched the first season but i think he's the only boy in the school i think it's an all-girls school <laughs> oh really yeah <laughs> And they're just like, well, he has to go here. Like, he can't, he can't go to the Protestant school. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they finally get him pants, I think. <laughs> oh, <laughs> goodness. <laughs> but it's just really cute. They are, you know, 16 or 17 and they're figuring out how to live life, how to be, you know, young adults. Mm-hmm. Isn't the girl from Bridgerton like 35? <laughs> <laughs> I think so, yeah. I think, honestly, I think they're all a lot older than teenagers. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But some of them are really short, so it, it's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> but it takes place in the 90s. Oh, fun. So it's during the Troubles mm. with all the conflict between, well, I don't want to say the Catholics and Protestants, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, though. Yeah. So they're sort of navigating life during this volatile time. And, you know, there there are some really poignant scenes where they're just trying to, you know, participate in the school talent show. And then at home, their parents are watching the news about another bombing. So, oh. yeah, some of, some of the scenes can get really poignant. And I think... I think that's part of what I like about it so much mm-hmm. because it is funny. It's very funny. And the kids are just like wild and doing stupid stuff all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't believe you thought that would work. 
but at the same time, like it's set against the backdrop of something historical and important and not good. Yeah. And I just think they balance that really well because yeah, there are terrible things going on, Mm -hmm. but it's still important that you have friends and you guys have good times together and you guys figure out what makes you happy and what doesn't and all of that stuff, you know, all your life is still important. Like all of the little minutia of your life is still important. Yeah. Even if it doesn't seem like it. So I really, really like that. Yeah. I will say it, it took me a while to get into it. Like I was told that it was really good and it took me maybe like three episodes to really understand the humor oh okay but once you do it is really really funny (laughs) (laughs) also i think i am allowed to say this (laughs) because i am catholic but they are catholic and like all of the catholic jokes are really funny (laughs) (laughs) so there's like a very particular humor that you might not get as much as i do (laughs) okay (laughs) but i I did go to two different Catholic universities, so I might okay. get some of it, even if I can't quite relate to it. Yeah. Catholic university is a little different than Catholic elementary school. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. <laughs> but along those lines, their their headmistress of the school is Sister George Michael, who is played what? by... <laughs> she's played by Siobhan McSweeney, and she's hilarious. <laughs> you see her at different points doing things like she's reading the exorcist (laughs) (laughs) like she takes her job seriously but her view of religion and god is really like less it's more down to earth than you would expect from a nun (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i think that's that's pretty fun she's she's great they also have a recurring character father peter conway Mm -hmm. and he's a young priest he's played by peter campion and he comes around every once in a while and Sister Michael like hates him <laughs> because he's so like he's young and cool and like all the girls kind of have a crush on him. And she's just like rolling her eyes all the time <laughs> when he's around. <laughs> but to give you an example of some of the plot lines that happen, I am going to talk about season three a little bit because it's what I've been watching. Mm-hmm. And I'm very happy that it came back. I think it got put on hold because of COVID and everything. So seasons one and two came out in 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. And then there was a big gap until this year. Mm-hmm. So in episode one of season three, Liam Neeson makes an appearance. Oh, fun. <laughs> as a police in- inspector. Because, <laughs> because the girls are all worried about their big GCSE test results. Mm-hmm. And... Sister Michael lets slip that the school has them, um, but they're not releasing them until tomorrow. So they decide to go and, and break into the school and go see the, see their scores. What? <laughs> but they run into robbers. And oh, no. The two guys are just like, yeah, we're, we're here to pick up the computers. We're going to take them to, to get fixed or, or something like that. And they just believe them and they like help, <laughs> help them <laughs> take all the computers out of the school. <laughs> Oh, no. And then afterwards, they drive off and Claire's like, wait, what do we just do? And then the police show up and Liam Neeson has to interrogate them. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, sometimes there's really dumb kids and it's 
It's funnier than I think I'm making it sound. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. <laughs> and like one of the episodes, they're trying to go to this amusement park and they go on the train and the train gets stuck and they accidentally leave Claire behind. Oh. And um, James's bag gets mixed up with someone else's and they find like money, lots of money and a gun in it. And like the trolley guy wouldn't sell them Kit Kats because he was out of Kit Kats, but there were display Kit Kats right there. And he was, they were like, why don't you just sell us the display ones? And he's like, because they're for display. How will people know that we have them if they, we don't have a display Kit Kat? And they're like, you don't have Kit Kats. <laughs> <laughs> and Orla <laughs> ends up <laughs> buying the display Kit Kats from him for like 500 pounds because they found oh. this money in, in this bag. Oh, no. And they're like, Orla, we can't keep that money. <laughs> so they have to like get it, get the money back from the trolley guy who's really mean. And I don't know. It's just like a bunch of silly, silly things. And it's very lighthearted. It makes me, it makes me laugh out loud regularly, which is oh pretty, pretty rare, I think. Yeah. And I do want to talk about their parents. Mm-hmm. So Aaron's mom, Mary, is played by Tara Lynn O'Neill and her dad, her dad, Jerry. <laughs> Mary and Jerry from Derry. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry's played by Tommy Tiernan. And mm-hmm. Orla's mom and Mary's sister, Sarah, is played by Kathy Kira Clark. And then... Joe is Mary and Sarah's dad, and he also lives with them. He's played by Ian McElhinney. So they have a lot of scenes at home, and they're just a regular sitcom family who silly things happen to, and they have silly tiffs and stuff like that. And Sarah is just as spacey as Orla, so it's that's funny. <laughs> Those are the family members that we see the most. You do see, like, Michelle's mom and claire's and some other people all the time a bit at the time but yeah aaron's family is the one that we see the most and i didn't really talk about aaron but she's very um she's a little uptight and she sees herself as a leader even though she's not always (laughs) (laughs) and she's very ambitious i think she works really well with the group as a whole like i said my favorite is orla (laughs) (laughs) and then Before we end, Mm -hmm. I do want to say, have you seen the Great British Bake Off Holiday Edition? I think I watched at least one of those. Okay. A couple years ago, they had the cast of Dairy Girls on a New Year's episode. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So I think it was Searsha Monica Jackson, so Aaron, Nicola Coughlin, Claire Mm -hmm. was there, Jamie Lee O'Donnell, Michelle... Dylan Llewellyn James and Siobhan McSweeney, Sister George Michael, competed. And it was just really charming and fun. And if you like the show, I suggest going and checking that out because it was really cute. cute. That's great. I want to say one little thing that if you are enjoying this and you run out of it, look for... Last I saw this, this was streaming on Hulu, but I'm not sure if it still is. The show Moon Boy. Moon Boy. Yeah, which is another Irish sitcom, but it's in Ireland, Ireland, not Northern Ireland, like Dairy Girls is. 
Um, but it's also set in the late 80s and early 90s. And it's about a 12-year-old boy who has a grown man as an imaginary friend. But it's the the imaginary friend is clearly supposed to be kind of like the grown-up version of the little kid. Mm-hmm. And Chris O'Dowd plays the imaginary friend. Okay. But it's mostly a family sitcom and the kid has weird little friends and it's just it's very cute and weird and very irish and has a lot of like football references but also just like weird things about the late 80s early 90s that are just random so okay awesome yeah yeah i'll try to check that out okay and for listeners that is spelled m-o-o-n-e boy yes yes that's his last name so okay but yeah at Dairy Girls does sound fun, and I will try to get to that. Yeah, yeah. If, if you do, I'd give it at least a couple episodes to see what you think. Okay, sure. But you are very excited because Netflix brought back one of your favorite competition shows. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, this is another – I wouldn't – I don't know. Netflix's competition shows that I've watched so far, but especially The Circle, is mostly good-natured. And very based on friendship and stuff. That is not the mole. The mole is a little bit more cutthroat. <laughs> <laughs> but there are still some like people do bond and stuff. So it's it's kind of in the middle of feel good and, and backstabby. Okay. <laughs> but I mentioned I we covered the mole earlier with their old seasons from the early 2000s. And they started streaming them on Netflix, which is how I discovered it. Because I didn't watch it when it was on. But I got very quickly invested and not obsessed. Like, I am I think I have a normal amount of affinity for it. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know that they were for sure rebooting it and reviving it. And it just showed up on Netflix. And I was like, what? It was not on the air in the U.S. for 14 years. So, <laughs> so this is technically just a continuation. It's considered season six. And okay. the only season I have not seen of the original was season five, which never streamed anywhere. I, w- I found some of it online, but it wasn't like it was too hard to watch it because I couldn't get it on a TV. I was only watching it on my computer and I was like, <laughs> yeah. this is not a good enough season to keep going. But anyway, so season six started um, early October of this year. The new host is Alex Wagner, who is a newscaster. She's on MSNBC. And it's it was filmed in Australia. And they've got a lot more contestants than I think other seasons have had. Or it just feels like that. Hmm. There's three, four, five, six, eight, nine. There's 12 contestants in this season. Okay. And I have a favorite contestant so far, this girl Avery, who is a professional gamer from Phoenix. And she's 26. And I'm really rooting for her. Okay. And they're dropping the episodes in in blocks. By the time this podcast drops, I think the whole series will be out. So we will know who the winner is. But if you don't remember the premise of this show, it's very much like either Survivor or The Amazing Race. It's not quite as literally survivalist as Survivor. They are usually in some exotic location. And some of the challenges are sort of physical But a lot of them seem like escape rooms or mental challenges or they're challenges of ethics in some way. Mm. So I like that it's a mix of not just like outdoorsy people can do well, but smart people, bookish people, logical people, strategic people can win the challenges too. But basically they're, they're competing as a team, but they also 
somebody gets eliminated every week, but there is also one contestant. So one person is going to win all the money at the end. One contestant is a plant, a mole, who's working for production, not for the team. And their job is to subtly sabotage as much as they can so that the team wins less money. So every challenge that you are successful at, it'll add a certain amount of money to the collective pot of money. And certain things that you do might take money away. So some challenges, there may be like an add-on that'll get extra money. Or if if one person finds an extra set of instructions, that might actually give them an exemption from getting eliminated, but it might take some money away from the pot. So it's all kind of like creepy what people decide to do. And you're sort of, you're, you benefit from working together as a team because more money will get accumulated. But you also, if you pretend you're the mole, even if you're not, that could make you do better on the test if you draw other people into suspecting you. Oh, yeah. Because every episode, what happens is at the end of a series of challenges for the day, they have a nice dinner in a hotel together, <laughs> and then they they take this test, and the test is based on questions about the mole. So they'll ask questions like, true or false, the mole is an only child, or uh, what zodiac sign is the mole? So you have to have had good conversations with people to know details. Mm -hmm. They might also ask questions of what team was the mole on during this challenge or whatever. So you have to remember details about gameplay and you have to have an idea of who you suspect for being the mole. So the person who gets the least amount of questions right or does the worst on the quiz is automatically eliminated. So it's not based on some collective vote or anything the way Survivor is. And it's much more like The Amazing Race in that way, because the last team to get to the checkpoint is just cut. So early on, you don't have enough information. So what a lot of people do in the early quizzes is they just split all their answers Mm. based on a lot of different suspects. So they have a better chance of doing at least partially better. So it's a little bit of luck at that point. But then you've got to be strategic. And often you'll still split your vote, but you'll need to kind of think you know, how much do you want to split it because you want to do really well. So it's really hard. Right. There was a situation, I'm not going to spoil who it was, but there was a situation where somebody got eliminated based on their test results. And then they had a chance later in the same episode to come back and bring extra money with them. (gasps) Yet the rest of the team had to decide if they wanted to help that person win their individual challenge and come back and they discussed it. I'm not going to say what they decided, but some of the argument against letting them back was, well, they know how they did on the quiz. So they're going to, they're at an advantage now of at least knowing one person who's not the mole. Like if they threw all their quiz answers into one basket and then obviously failed, now they know probably who's not the mole. Yeah. So they have an advantage. So it became this quandary. And it's, I think it's so fascinating to think about how you're, you, you do benefit from working together as a team because then you get more money. But if you are out for yourself, you may have a better shot of winning the whole thing, but then you might win less if there's less money. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's just really, I don't know. It's really fun. Like I said, some of the challenges are a little bit more physical. Some are logistical. There's a lot of like 
weird things of driving around to places where you don't know where you're going. There's a lot of like scrambling. There's been several challenges this this season so far that are very escape room like. And there's been a few where it's like they'll split them into multiple teams and then tell them if you do this, you get this amount of money. If you do this other thing, your whole small team will get an exemption, but you'll guess get less money. Mm-hmm. So you've got to make decisions in small collectives and decide what would the other group do? And then, oh, it's just like, oh, it's so, <laughs> it's so kind of frustrating. And like, sometimes when you watch them, if they decide to make the, what I would see as the unethical choice, it's frustrating. Right. Because they also, it's a lot of like the marshmallow test thing of like, <laughs> you leave the kid in the room with all the marshmallows and say, you get, you know, a marshmallow if you don't eat these or you can eat these and you get punished or whatever. And it's like they're they're frequently choosing to eat all the marshmallows. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. But hmm. I really like the new host and the locations filming in Australia at what looks like their summertime is really beautiful. There's been a few other seasons where they film in really beautiful places. And it's a nice mix of making them rough it and do camping things and staying in some really nice place that's really beautiful. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I do think this group is not as funny as some previous groups have been. Mm. The celebrity seasons had a lot of comedy in them, and there's not a lot of that here. There's not as many people kind of mugging for the camera. And as annoying as the celebrities were in in those seasons, they they were funny, honestly. There was <laughs> a lot of humor there, and there's not as much in this. There is a guy, Greg who uh, is a marketing consultant. And he, first of all, he reminds me of a friend of mine. And also, he is a little bit funny, but he's kind of <laughs> just in a little comedic zone by himself. He's not really <laughs> like... <laughs> nice. And I know I have someone who I think is the mole based on their behavior, but I I may... It, I, it may just be that this person is just playing a very strategic game. Yeah. So... Yeah. You're not willing to say it before you see the final episode. <laughs> right. No, no. But I mean, I will say that people are routinely annoyed with this person for doing things that seem crummy. Okay. So I'm not the only one suspecting them, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So I had a question because... And this doesn't really matter at all, but mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that this show, they always get like newscasters to host Uh which is unusual a little bit yeah it was anderson cooper and then it was ahmad rashad who was a sportscaster there was another host but i don't remember i don't remember who that was but i think they were also another newscaster but that's not that unusual considering that julie chen moonves hosts big brother and she's Uh, mostly known as a newscaster okay yeah. So, yeah, I do miss Anderson Cooper. I think he was the strongest host. Ahmad <laughs> Rashad was pretty good. Alex Wagner, though, is great. I was initially like, oh, okay. But I guess, you know, I don't think they're going to get Anderson Cooper back. Yeah. No. And I think Ahmad Rashad only did the celebrity ones. So maybe he was just like, I'm not going to work with the, <laughs> the <plebs>. normies. <laughs> These <laughs> plebs. <laughs> but Alex has a very calming demeanor. She's very... I do think... Having a newscaster be the host will make them seem a little bit more authoritative. They're like a game master, not so much a participant or anything. And also the host never knows who the mole is. 
So oh. all the all the hosts have always been as much in the dark as the contestants. Alex has had interviews where she said, "Yeah, I didn't know who it was." Um, also, her wardrobe is on point. I gotta nice. say, they give her some cute clothes. So <laughs> yeah, so they're not allowed to know and. You know, the mole themselves are going to get money, but they're just getting money as like a little salary okay, for kind of working for production. So I don't know if I've ever successfully, because when they get to the last episode, it's usually just three contestants left mm-hmm. who continue some small competition before they do the reveal. And I don't know that I've ever gotten it right. Like, by the end, you end up suspecting all three of them for different reasons. <laughs> right. I think the first two seasons, I was very surprised. And the celebrity seasons, I was more surprised at who won. (laughs) And so this one, I'm really going in kind of like, I don't know. We'll see. I I know who I think, but I bet I'm going to be proven wrong. So Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I'm always pretty bad at guessing who it is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I think you would enjoy this. This is just as good as those first two normal people seasons so cool um, yeah it's really fun i'll probably pop it on when i've got some chores to do yeah it is a good background show i have to admit that often i multitask during it because some of the they do milk a lot of the suspense you know those (laughs) moments kind of drag a little bit so but it is good it's something good to pop on and just kind of enjoy in the background so yeah great yeah i'll add it to my list cool but well <laughs> we both watched this movie that i think i enjoyed more than you mm-hmm. uh this is our this is probably our last spooky season october segment yeah i guess you're right although i might still continue to talk about spooky things oh that's <laughs> fine well and apologies to the listeners because my next door neighbor's dog is losing her mind so you're just oh. gonna have to hear some barking <laughs> in the background for a moment but yeah i I think I was deliberately looking for a spooky movie, saw that this was streaming on HBO Max and had never seen it. And then you watched it on my recommendation, which may be to your detriment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was also on my friend Erica's recommendation. Right. She has been trying to get me to watch this since we lived together in 2019. So, (laughs) okay. (laughs) And then, I yeah, I think I saw something about it last week and I was like, maybe it's time to give that a shot. Yeah. And then you said you were going to watch it. And I was like, okay, it's time. (laughs) It's time. (laughs) So this was 2015's The Witch, which was written and directed by Robert Eggers. And this was his first film. And this is the first film appearance of Anya Mm Taylor-Joy. So she's since gone on to things like The Queen's Gambit and a bunch of other stuff and kind of carved out a little i just saw one or last night in soho which is another one of her movies okay yeah so yeah why don't you give us a little bit of the setup and premise okay (laughs) so in the 1630s in new england we have a family who is headed by william and his wife Catherine. they've got four kids their oldest daughter thomason played by anya taylor joy their son, Caleb, who's probably like 11-ish. Yeah. He's played by Harvey Scrimshaw. And then they've got younger twins, Mercy and Jonas, who are uh, creepy as heck. And, <laughs> <laughs> and William is played by Ralph Innocent. 
and Catherine is played by Kate Dickey. And they, at the very beginning, they sort of get exiled from their community because of a religious dispute. So they go and build this farm off away from the colony and near a forest. Mm -hmm. And Catherine has a fifth baby, Samuel. Mm -hmm. And when Thomason is watching Samuel and playing peekaboo with him, Samuel disappears. And it's not like he can run off. He's like a two-month-old or something. Yeah. So, it, like, it's very abrupt. She covers her eyes with her hands to play peekaboo, and when she oh, when she pulls him away, he's gone. So the family is pretty devastated. The, the mom blames Thomason. The dad assumes it's a wolf that came and got him, which... <laughs> is crazy too (laughs) like (laughs) she didn't hear the wolf right in front of her you know (laughs) yeah yeah and then i had to look up what happened next but (laughs) (laughs) you find out really soon that a witch has taken the baby and he's unbaptized because he's so young and they're living away from the rest of their puritan colony and apparently she uses his body and blood to make some sort of flying ointment for herself Mm -hmm. so she the baby is dead uh, which is very sad and automatically you're like oh gosh this is gonna be a movie (laughs) 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 and then the family is i mean they are in trouble Mm -hmm. Catherine is devastated so she's not really contributing she's depressed and crying and she's praying all the time the crops aren't really coming in william is not a good hunter and they so they they're not doing well Mm -hmm. they have they're low on food they're low on patience everyone is sort of angry at each other the mom doesn't seem to like thomason very much at all and she tries to get the dad to send her away and like go get her married because she's of marrying age now mm-hmm. and then like all this weird stuff starts to happen so caleb and thomason go into the forest to check a trap and caleb gets lost in the woods and finds a witch in a hovel and thomason loses him so mm-hmm. the parents are mad at her again <laughs> mm-hmm. and then like there's a storm and they find Caleb back, but he's naked and he's sick and like he dies the next day and all of this weird stuff starts happening and it's just like really uncomfortable. <laughs> and you're like, is it witchcraft? Is it, you know, hallucinations from being hungry all the time? And it's a hard life being out alone on this farm you know, I, I, please take it away from me because (laughs) (laughs) do we want to say, talk more about the plot or? Well, I mean, it's a very subtle plot. And Mm -hmm. I think those are kind of the main points that sort of pull you in and get you concerned about what's happening. There's a lot of feelings of potentially unreliable point of view characters. There's a lot of like, what is, what's real, what's maybe based on paranoia 
the mom does get increasingly paranoid. Mm-hmm. The dad is getting increasingly stressed. The dad is like constantly obsessively chopping wood. And I realize like if you don't have opportunities to get wood during the winter, you need all that and there's no other form of heat. So it's not that weird, but it seems like he just keeps doing it to a point where, okay, you're you're good. I don't know how much more you yeah. would need. I, I mean, I think that's the point too, because yeah, at one point, Thomason's just like, all you do is chop wood. You don't like go out and hunt for us. You don't take care of the crops well enough. Mm-hmm. So it's like this one thing that he can do that he's doing yeah. to prove that he can take care of them. And it's just like not enough. Yeah, yeah. It's I can't imagine being out on this little uh, like micro farm and trying to feed that many people and just failing. And I think there's a lot of interesting things that it's saying about sort of, you know, restrictive religious societies because they do get exiled and you don't quite know exactly why. They also have this goat that they call Black Philip who's a big <laughs> probably feral billy goat he's black and the twins sing creepy little songs about him that are upsetting yeah the the twins are so creepy (laughs) and they yeah there's i don't know there's clearly stress on every single one of these people and you would think you know you're just living in this little cabin it feels very idyllic in some ways but it's not it's hard Mm -hmm. and i think we romanticize pre-industrial society because there's less you know stressful like constant communication and constant work for someone else but it's not better in the past you had to work for everything you ate and every piece of cloth you wear and every part of your house i mean i think we have it a little bit better now in many ways mm-hmm. so this kind of shows the hard scrabble nature of that kind of life it's not Walden, it's terrible. <laughs> and, you know, I've got theories about the kinds of food they're eating and the amount it, it, sort of, you know, influencing their mindset <laughs> and their emotions. Yeah. So you can take this as completely face value that there is a witch in the woods and she's she's killed the baby, she killed Caleb, she is out to get the whole family, or you can take it as much more allegorical. The thing that I like about this, it, this is from the folk horror subgenre, mm-hmm. and you know I tend to like that quite a bit and find it especially creepy, you know. So for me, this really worked. I thought the performances were really, really good. Everybody was great. Um, I thought the mom, Kate Dickey, they made her look so much worse than she actually looks, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so much older. She is only like in her early 50s or she would have been you know a couple years younger than that like younger than I am when she made this movie and she looks like she's about 60 and Anya Taylor-Joy was so good and she's got such big eyes and she's very expressive but she can look very stoic at times and I think she she looks sort of like in a good way I don't mean this in a bad way but like sort of alien like (laughs) (laughs) like it just makes her look a little little little, uh otherworldly because she's very very pale and has these big eyes and she just kind of seems a little bit you know spooky (laughs) no i get it yeah and the witch they show her old and young and both forms are kind of creepy and upsetting in their own way and the scenery they wanted to film this in new england they couldn't make it work with tax reasons so they filmed it in like 
southeastern Canada, but that looked a lot like New Hampshire and kind of like that sort of area. So it's very desolate, but also very full of woods, but the woods look cold and, you know, harsh and creepy. So Mm -hmm. I think they did a really good job filming and location scouting and all of that. So, and everybody just looks kind of dirty and gray all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think, I think I read that he used, the director used a lot of natural light. Yeah. So candles and stuff and Mm -hmm. just the, the sunlight. So. Mm-hmm. everything looks like a little bit washed out mm-hmm. just a little bit gray and bleak and depressing yeah so yeah. i think that definitely adds to it because like not only are they out here trying to survive but mm-hmm. the landscape is pretty unforgiving mm-hmm. i think it's interesting that we ended up talking about dairy girls on the same day because I think they they're not related on the surface, but uh <laughs> they're both sort of centered around religion and like in Dairy Girls religion provides a structure and mm-hmm. it's like a coming together point mm-hmm. and they use their togetherness to survive basically and this is the complete opposite where religion is sort of too strict and mm-hmm. almost a point of pride that they don't agree with the other Puritans mm-hmm. and it ends up isolating them and then they isolate themselves from each other. Like they should be coming together as a family mm-hmm. and maybe that would help them survive, but they sort of break apart. So I just yeah. thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's also some interesting things about gender in I think probably both of these but here we kind of sense that Thomason is feeling constrained in certain roles and the fact that they do talk about sending her away either to get married or to be a servant or something that's very you know she's the oldest child but she is a girl so I think they feel like she's sort of expendable Mm -hmm. and that's you know part of the problem I want to also mention that if you're looking for a spooky movie without too many jump scares, that's also nice and short. This is only 92 minutes. Yeah. So tight. Like, I really like a nice, short, scary movie. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Awesome. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it, too. I I will say the it's not really in normal English, and their accents are very thick. <laughs> I had a lot of trouble. I did not put captioning on, but I... Oh struggled so did you use captioning i put captioning on yeah (laughs) it might be worth it i find captioning when it's in english even if it's hard to understand every word i i have a processing problem with it so i usually struggle through without captions but yeah i wish i probably had put them on did you think that helped was it hard to i yeah i think so and i i watched this in two segments so i i watched the first half hour on my break and I had my tablet and I had headphones. And then the sec- the last hour I watched when I was home mm-hmm. on my TV. And actually, I think not having it in headphones was worse. Oh. Because some of it gets really soft. Yeah. And other times it got really loud. So mm-hmm. I'm glad I had captions on because sometimes the dialogue was so soft. And I was like, wait, yeah. what are they saying? What are they saying? 
<laughs> yeah. So. It was the audio was my least favorite part of it. It was it was too ambient in that way. And I did notice that. Like they were trying to make it too realistically some of it was very whispery and stuff. And uh I think it's fine to use naturalism for your visual, but using that for your audio is it was mushy and yeah, really hard to and but since they were not speaking modern English and they were they all had thick kind of English accents, which would have been accurate for pilgrims in the early, what became the U.S. Yeah, I wish I had put the captions on. So that's a little warning. That's fair. But yeah, I may watch some more. I'm going to seek out some more folk horror movies right. maybe to round out my spooky season. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Let me know if you find anything good. Because I do like folk horror as a genre, subgenre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. As a reminder of where to find the media we discussed today, you can find Dairy Girls and The Mole both on Netflix, and The Witch is streaming on HBO Max. And next week, we'll be talking about some more great pop culture stuff, so be sure to join us then. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And the show on Twitter at Podcast. You can also find our website at PositivelyPopCulture.com. And from there, you can find a link to our merch store, as well as our email, which is PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. And please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pop.